Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. We're in the book of Acts, and we've decided to enter into this over a season of time. This is last year, and this year we're, we're working through the book of Acts, and we'll keep going until it's finished. Now, here's the deal. We're taking some breaks in between, but what we are acknowledging here is that the book of Acts is the book about the story of God at work in his people. And often we like to think about the book of Acts as the story of the early church. Certainly that's taking place, but it's really a story of God on the move in his people. And that's what happens. And what's, what's beautiful here is that these amazing things that begin to take place in the book of Acts are, are truly worth sharing a story about. And, but they're meant to provoke and inspire us in a way that we would notice that the same opportunity is for us because Jesus himself has offered himself to us by way of the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's what we're witnessing in this book. So uh, just out of curiosity, if you think back over the first three chapters or so of the book of Acts, what big events come to mind? What happens early on? Just shout it out. Holy Spirit comes. Yeah, it's good. What else? Healings happen. Yeah, what else? The first, Peter's first sermon happens. There's a conversion. That's great. What else? What, what happens to Jesus? He ascends. There's all these things that take place in the early church that's just beautiful and inspirational for us as the church. But here's the thing I want us to notice is that these events begin to happen in the absence of the physical presence of Jesus. Now, uh, the reason I point that out is because if you were to go back into the Gospels and we would see incredible things happening there, the difference between the Gospels and this moment is that the Gospels would have been a, a, a footnote at best in human history had it not been for the resurrection of Christ. And, and, and then we see that in the absence of Jesus' physical presence, but the uh, indwelling of God's spirit, that amazing things begin to take place. And, and that's, that's what's happening still, is that God's spirit has been made available to us. And and the shift is one from relying on the physical presence of Jesus to relying on the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. And that's a shift that changes the world. And that's a shift that begins to change each of us as we take in the person of Christ into our lives, into the church, into the neighborhood, in the community, Amazing acts of God happen. Not by our doing, but by God's Spirit's doing. It's movement. And, and this movement began to shift from, um, the, the, excuse me, the culture around this movement began to notice 
the status quo, the established order, as Pastor Eric talked about last week, began to think, what is it that's happening here? Something's off with this group of people. And, and this, this new emerging presence of God's power in his people was a threatening force. Whether they could name it or see it, they called it cult, as, as Eric talked about. What was under this was the prevailing presence of God's spirit in his people. That's what was shaking them. That's what was messing with the peace of Rome. It was being tampered with at the spiritual and psychological level. The shift was taking place. This is what we're witnessing here, but this is also what we are invited to be encouraged and inspired by in our own life. That what... What powers have been tampered with because God's power is emerging in you? What parts of yourself even that you've given power to are beginning to be threatened by the presence of God at work in you? What internal struggles are emerging? What social struggles are emerging because of the convicting presence of God's spirit alive in you? You see the growing edge there. That, that line in space, not of Jesus' physical presence, but the Spirit's presence in you. And so this is what we read about, and we looked at last week. And, and so if you'll turn with me, and, and we want to invite you to grab your Bibles, and if you don't have them, they're in these tables around the room. It's not going to actually come up on the screen, because we really want to encourage us to be opening our Bible to be flipping through the pages, to have a tangible medium that, that we hold in our hands. And so, so if you'll turn there, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, and let us bear witness to the acts of God in his people. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, if you weren't here in the previous week or in the chapter 3, uh, a gentleman had been healed and they were called into court here, okay? Um, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, just notice that what is the thing that they're wrestling with here? Is it Peter and John, or is it something else? It's the name of Jesus. The threatening presence in the room against the status quo, the established order of the Sanhedrin. It's not simply Peter and John. It's the name of Jesus. Something about this is shaking them to their core. So much so, they got to have a judgment about it. They got to gather them in to warn them not to speak the name. 
And what's interesting here is that there's a shift that we have to pick up and, 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 and that what we're witnessing in Peter is unique from what we witnessed before in Peter. Think back to Peter after Jesus was arrested. Because note here in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter, Peter started not in courage, but in a place of cowardice, where he denied the name of Jesus three times. He was afraid before the established order, before the status quo. But something shifted for Peter. Something moved in him that moved him from this place of cowardice to a place of courage, from a place of being quiet and denying to a place of outspokenness and proclaiming of the name of Jesus. And we should pick this up. Peter was no threat before. And perhaps he's no threat now, except that something in him, a power in him, is beginning to tamper with the way things are. And we could say, well, he's just gotten real, you know, sure of himself, real confident in himself. But I would argue, no. Because if you remember before, by the way, in the garden, when Jesus was arrested, he was real sure of himself then. He was real confident then. Do you guys remember what Peter did in that moment? Thank you. He did a shoo. Pulled out the sword. He was ready to fight. So the shift here for Peter is not his ability to be sure of himself. The shift is the indwelling power of God's Spirit present in him. And that has come in this, in this fruit of courage, this virtue of courage. What they're experiencing is not Peter and John, but they're experiencing the presence of God's Spirit in Peter and John. And that's why they're saying, don't say that name. Don't say that name. And the shift that happens is really one of repentance, by the way. Peter didn't just move here because he witnessed the resurrection. He moved here because he was convicted and through this repentance, he entered into the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's always the growing edge. It's the place where you let go of yourself and take hold of God. That's what repentance does. It moves you from all your confidence in how you're doing it and places you in the confidence of how God is doing it. And there is a courage that emerges now in them. And it's beautiful. We don't speak enough about courage anymore, and yet it's one of, uh, one of the key virtues that the church talked about for centuries. And I think the reason is that we have an inappropriate view of courage. We see it kind of like the shoo. We see it in this kind of masculine form or something like that. But this courage is wholly other. Other. 
This is a move from the, 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 the space of holding your ground really out of your own strength to holding your ground in the strength of God because you're no longer standing on your ground. You're standing on what God's established. So hear me. I don't think that Peter, or John for that matter, are, have just moved from being having courage in themselves to having courage of Jesus. They have moved from courage of self to having the courage of Jesus in them. It's Jesus' courage. It's the new creation coming alive in tangible, implicit form. This isn't something they got from setting their rabbi. It's something they got from receiving the king. It's, a, it's something that happens in the intimate quarters of confession and surrender. We've talked about this before, but this is why the old proverb of those that are closest to the kings never have their weapons. Because they're in the presence of the king. What good would that do them there? This is the confidence that we must know ourselves implicitly. It's not enough for us to hear about it or to read the scriptures about it. We ourselves have to come to the communion tables today with a confessing spirit, with a willingness to say, I would like to leave the sort of unsolid ground of my own stamina and might and enter into the solid ground of the kingdom of God. And this is what Pastor Eric spoke about last week. If you remember in verses 10 and 11 when they were asked, by what power did you do this? By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man now Stands before you on the stone that you rejected, which has become the cornerstone for Peter and John. We're talking about living on firm ground through the door of repentance. That's courage, by the way is to look in the mirror and face the demon in yourself, the dark shadow that you hold. The coming to terms with that through the grace of God, and that's what this is. Peter and John, they didn't experience the pointing finger of God's spirit they, experienced, they have experienced the gracious presence of God's spirit and it's now revealing itself in this moment through courage and humility because we're not talking about soapbox courage please don't do that not talking about wearing a t-shirt 
or having a bumper sticker. We're talking about moving from the place of I have to establish it for myself, which is really the place of fear, by the way. That kind of courage is a disguise for, for cowardice. Because that kind of courage is, afraid, is threatened by everything. It thinks it has to be tough to survive. It, it's the kind of courage that's afraid of its own shadow. Because it only trusts in itself. But courage, true courage, is different than that. And again, it's not just bolstering because, I mean, robbers do that. Murderers do that. No. The genuine courage is a humble courage. It doesn't give itself the credit. doesn't muscle up for itself. It, it totally depends on the person and strength of God. And that's what the humility here testifies to. They don't even try to fix... If, if you caught that in verse 13, they're called unschooled and ordinary men. By these schooled and established Sanhedrin. See the dichotomy here? And yet, isn't it interesting that the unschooled, unlearned guys here, the ordinary men, are the ones that have somehow made the teachers of the law speechless. That's interesting. And Luke is pointing this out, that the very men who are sitting in the judgment under the wise, schooled, educated teachers and keepers of the law are the very men who are educating them in this moment. For they have rendered them speechless. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. The guys who knew it all had no, nothing to say. They had no words for the moment. And not only did that happen, but the unschooled who made the schooled speechless were now being ordered to no longer speak, which is a confession that their words are power. Not, excuse me, not the words but the capital word in their words. Status quo is getting shifted in this moment. But it goes even a step further. Not only did they find themselves with nothing to say, and not only did they then have to tell them, well, hey, you can't say anything. But it goes even further than that. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See that last shift there? Is that... 
they themselves can't be quiet. But you instead will have to be quiet. We can't do anything about what is. Say as much as you want to, but it holds no ground against this new reality. After verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old, which, which is pretty old in that time, by the way. And again, it's not the healing that they were defending. It's not the healing that they were being accused of doing. It's not the message. It was the name of Jesus. It was the implicit experience of God that they were having that was manifesting in their words. It was the presence of God's power that was under attack. It was the confidence and courage of God that was threatening, not the best words of wise pastors. Now, Peter and John were humble servants. Now, what I want us to note here is that the persecution that the church is beginning to face and will face, it's actually not the persecution of the church. It's the persecution of Jesus in the church. The church that doesn't have Jesus in it isn't going to experience the persecution. In the Gospels, it's Jesus that's persecuted. In the book of Acts, it's Jesus that's persecuted through the presence of the church. That's the threat. That's the power. When the world bumps into the implicit experience of God in you as you repent and move from your own strength to the strength of God and the world bumps into that, it, it has to resist it or receive it. That's the choice. That's what it's left with. And the truth is, it's not our concern, the outcome. What is our concern is that we too will be summoned to court. But it will be a superior court than the Sanhedrin. It will be a court before God. And in our faithfulness to repent, that is, let go of our own strength and take on the strength of Jesus, might we be found totally guilty of loving our enemies, loving our neighbors, preaching the gospel and the courage and confidence of Christ. And then might we be sentenced to eternity with God. How blessed we are to have found the love of God. Now let it have its transforming power on us. For the power of God and the redeemed life is undeniable. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you to be witnesses of your acts in our own lives, and that of your church, God. 
may be you that emerges in us, not just more of us. And Lord, I ask that you would help us find that emerging edge of your spirit that's knocking on our doors, that wants to come in. I, I, God, I ask that even in this moment, you would help us to see and name the thing that we keep holding on to. And might you help us to surrender and let that go so that you can begin to do a new work in us.